2: live from joe's mom's basement it's the stacking benjamin show I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and on today's show, we welcome the creator of a documentary about running 3,100 miles around one New York City block, Sanjay Rawal. Plus, in our headline segment, there are estate problems with yet another deceased star. Who is it? We'll share later today. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and leave time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are shaking out the cobwebs and stretching out to celebrate yet another Monday. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And it
0: is Monday, and we're so happy to be here. I am Joe Saul Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me, all dressed up with a podcast to make. It's my good friend the other guy or as we call him og
3: did you do your calisthenics this morning are you doing the push-up challenge
0: i'm, I'm not doing a push-up challenge i am doing a detox which is an absolute disaster i recommend Just not this. the worst
3: thing imaginable
0: i recommend this to nobody
3: like i like to retox those are the things i like to do most
0: <laughs> right see how many oreo cookies i can eat in four minutes
3: yeah, exactly. Twinkies. You can do that with blueberry pie. There's all sorts of different things you can retox with.
0: I heard that makes the body stronger because it's I try. its endurance. You know,
3: mm-hmm. it's yeah. its seeing what it's Like, can how do withstand. I process an entire gallon of ice cream? Like, get to work, body. Let's see what happens.
0: That way, when you head to the airport, they can roll you through Clear. Thanks to Clear for supporting Stacky Benjamins. That wasn't very good, was it?
3: Clear is amazing, though. Clear is amazing. Just don't tell anybody because I don't want the lines to get long. Clear
0: uses your eyes and fingertips instead of traditional ID documents to get you through security faster. Airports and stadiums get your first two months of clear for free by heading to clearme.com forward slash SB 2019. You have to put SB 2019. If you want to get two months free of clear use promo code SB 2019.
3: Yeah. If you want daggers stared in your back as you, blow past everybody in security, this is the ticket. And it works for people who just travel infrequently, too. You don't even have to be pre-check or global entry or, you know, a frequent flyer. You can be clear without that. So I don't know why you wouldn't use it.
0: Super, super duper fast. We got a show that won't be fast, and it will be thoughtful, but still a heck of a lot of fun, OG. Okay. We've got director Sanjay Rawal with us today. You may have seen him. If you listen to podcast about endurance sports, you may have seen him. And we know financial planning is an endurance sport in many aspects. There's so many takeaways. Financial from advising
3: this. is. I know that.
0: <laughs> imagine, first of all, a race that's 3,100 miles. That by itself is difficult to imagine. It goes over 70 days. But imagine, second, that that same ultra marathon is around one single. New York City block.
3: How do you keep track of it?
0: It's, well, we'll find out. We're going to ask him today. So let's get the party started.
1: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking
3: Benjamin's headlines.
0: Our first headline comes to us from Barron's breakdown over Tom Petty's estate offers a lesson. Did you see this headline?
3: I didn't know Tom Petty died.
0: You can crack John Denver jokes all day, but you didn't know Tom Petty passed away?
3: No. When was that? Yeah,
0: that was, <laughs> geez, it's been a while ago now, six months. I oh. don't have the date in front of me, but I do have this piece He's in front of now me. now among the wildflowers. So, oh boy. A disagreement among family members of late singer songwriter Tom Petty that spilled into the courts underlines the importance of precise language in trust and estate documents. So reports, mm-hmm. wealthmanagement.com, which notes that Adria Petty and Anna Kim Violet, Petty's daughters from his first marriage, recently sued his widow, Dana York Perry, and are seeking at least $5 million in damages. The daughters accuse Dana of setting up a company. Tom Petty Legacy LLC as a vehicle to deprive them of assets. The company is separate from Petty Unlimited LLC, established in 2018 to manage the Singer's assets after he died. The daughters claim the terms of Petty's trust give them, quote, equal participation in making decisions about handling the estate. Dana's claimed in court documents, the daughters are attempting to, quote, rule by majority. She also has said that as sole trustee for the estate, she gets the final word on decisions. Both interpretations are plausible. Carrie Harrington, a trust and estate attorney at Levenfeld Perlstein in Chicago, tells WealthManagement.com, equal participation could mean Petty wanted each of the three to have an equal vote, which would give the daughters a two-to-one majority. Could also mean the daughters have the right to participate in the decision-making process but can be overruled by Dana. The attorney who drafted legal documents for Petty could provide clarity on his intentions. The lesson here for financial planners... And for people doing an estate, I will say this piece is written for financial planners, seems to be to make sure the language in trust and estate documents is crystal clear, preventing multiple interpretations.
3: I think it's important for that. It's also important to think about the dominoes that happen when you have the people that you want in charge in charge. So, how do they get along now? You know, you're going to go, well, I want my two daughters and my third wife or whatever to be in charge of my estate, how do I think that relationship's going to look? How do I think those decisions are going to be made? Well, it's pretty clear. If I were the daughters, I would say, hey, you and me, let's uh, gang up on this and we'll get it the way we want it. I mean, that's pretty obvious that that's likely to be a scenario that you should consider. And it's the same thing when it comes to choosing guardians for your kids or trustees for your investment accounts or you know powers of attorney for financial or medical decisions likely you have kind of a succession line built in your estate plan, but let's talk about like how those different people in succession work together and make sure that there's no ulterior motives.
0: This is the reason why I like having an attorney involved when my estate documents are done. Now, if your estate is very, very simple, just getting it done using off the shelf stuff, I think for now could be fine But problems like this begin to emerge when the waters are a little murky um, Mm -hmm. and the the wording is not exact.
3: And you start talking about millions and millions of dollars.
0: But not even millions and millions of dollars. I mean, it could be thousands and thousands of dollars. And if you've got a second marriage, kids by the first marriage who don't like your new spouse, and you pass away, and you use ambiguous language in your estate documents because you went with off-the-shelf stuff... Instead of having an attorney involved, now you got problems. In this case, it appears that the attorneys may be able to give some clarification around what they yeah. thought Petty meant. Still, I don't know the legality of the attorney's yeah, interpretation. Like how,
3: how, how, how much worth does the court give that? You know, that's really important. I think the other thing to mention here is when it comes to an estate plan, everybody's in such a darn hurry. Have you did you notice that too? Like, hey, Grandma died. Uh, we got to sell our house tomorrow. Right. Like, just take your time. You want to take the time, especially these these estate planning documents are you know tens of pages, if not hundreds of pages long. There's no sense in hurrying through it because sometimes you can make a mistake in there that you can't undo, and you go, oh, well, if I would have read to chapter 12, I would have figured out that I shouldn't have done what I did in chapter eight, you know, or that didn't apply or whatever the case may be, because everybody's in such a gosh darn hurry. I think there really is such limited Things that you have to make immediate decisions on that you you can afford yourself a fairly decent amount of time to make sure you do it the right way.
0: Our second headline comes to us from Market Watch. This is written by Jacob Passy. This is one credit card rewards program you might want to skip. So, for OG, who's collecting every reward program out there,
3: one of everything, yep. you,
0: you might want to skip this one,
3: two of some things.
0: The pedal Visa cards geared toward people who are new to credit or have a limited credit history, but a new rewards program launched by the card could end up becoming a roadblock for people looking to improve their credit score, experts say. Pedal, which has received backing from PayPal co-founder and entrepreneur Peter Thiel, launched the card last October in partnership with WebBank. It's designed to appeal to people with weak credit or no credit history. Consumers don't even need a credit score to sign up, nor do they need to make an upfront deposit to secure the card. Instead, the company looks at consumers' quote, digital financial records to determine their credit worthiness. That record includes looking at bank accounts to get a sense of their spending habits. If they do have a credit score, then that may factor into their approval. Consequently, people who have a history of mispayments or bankruptcy might be denied. The card also carries no fees and a credit limit up to $10,000. Its annual percentage rate varies between 15.24% and 26.24%. To be fair, that starts at a lower rate than the APRs offered by many other secured cards that also help customers build credit. The Discover It secured card, for example, has a standard variable APR of 25.24. Pedal points out that the lower credit limits for secured cards restricts customers ability to keep a low balance to credit limit thereby slowing down their ability to build credit both the rates for pedal and the higher rates for many other secured cards are well above the national average of 17.72 although that figure obviously includes those with long credit histories and high credit scores here's the rub og pedal says its new reward program launched a maze designed to reward users for making on-time payments Every cardholder will initially earn one percent back on all purchases made with the card. After paying on time for six months, the rate will increase to one and a quarter percent back, and after another six months, it increases to one and a half percent back, which is the most cardholders can earn. Our goal here is to incentivize on-time payments. Yada yada yada. But some consumers may want to approach this concept with caution. The P says. By their nature, credit card reward programs can encourage people to spend beyond their means, financial experts say. Reward programs tend to cause people to overuse their credit cards and eventually end up carrying a balance when they didn't mean to, said Luis Rosa, a certified financial planner in Henderson, Nevada. People tend to charge everything they can on their credit cards in order to take advantage of the point rewards. Meanwhile, the money in their checking accounts, higher than it normally would be, this can cause a false sense of the available money in the checking account. I like both of those, OG. Oh, I think it's a good time for us to remind people that while we'll talk about credit reward programs sometimes here on the show and talk about them favorably. Man, this is a big case of know yourself. And maybe if you're somebody just establishing credit, credit card reward program might be might be a little
3: a little far. I've seen this happen many times when companies come out with a new program, right? Get 100,000 points for doing this. You got to spend $10,000 in the first three months. Well, if you don't normally spend $3,500 a month on your credit card, you want that 100,000 points. So you go out trying to find something to do that with. And now you end up with a balance. And as if you have one month of interest payments, you pretty much have eaten up an entire year's worth of, probably more than a year's worth of reward point value and you lose money on the deal. So sometimes it's better to just pay cash for stuff. I mean, I don't necessarily mean cash, cash, but I mean, you know, if you're saying, well, if I could get this new credit card and I can get 50,000 miles, I can go on a free trip. It's like, well, yeah, but it's going to cost you 400 bucks in interest <laughs> to do it. Why don't you just buy a $99 ticket on Southwest? It still save you 200 bucks, you know, going around trips. So don't walk around tripping over dollars to pick up pennies, I guess, is, uh, is the way I read into that,
0: yeah, it's so it's so difficult uh, when they make these rewards sound great, and if you're somebody that spends any time at all online, OG, these travel hackers make it sound really oh,
3: exciting. It's crazy. So, probably the most notable person in this space right now is the Points Guy, uh, Brian, whatever his last name is, I can't remember, and he just started a video blog, a vlog, on YouTube, and one of the most Interesting questions, I guess, that he gets is tell us your points balance, right? (laughs) You do all this stuff on points, tell us your points balance. Well, he showed his points history for the last 12 months with American Express. And he says, you know, we have 1.7 million American Express points right now. And we have another 1.6 million that are pending for the next statement. He said, in the last year, we've earned 18 million points. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, when you see Brian Kelly, is that his last name, I think? Brian, when you see him in a first-class seat in an Emirates airline that costs $32,000, and he's like, I got this all in points." yeah, the dude spends $18 million a year on his Amex card. I mean, that is probably 100 times more than most people spend. So, it, so it's going to take you a lifetime to get enough points to do the same stuff in the same tempo that you see everybody doing. But remember, it's his job to tell you how easy it is to spend your Amex points or how easy it is to spend your chase points. And look, I, you can, you know, if you have enough chase points, you can go to this cool thing and look how awesome this is and champagne and you know, that sort of thing. It was really kind of eye-opening for me to have him recognize that his operation includes 70 full-time people, you know, I mean, and running a million dollars a month on his American express card among other things. Yeah. That's a straight up, very large small business that he's running. Yeah, and you can't compare yourself when you see somebody on Instagram or you can, you know, you see these blog articles of, "Hey, I went on this two week trip for free." It's easy for him to accumulate a million points to do that because, you know, he's got the revenue to support it in his business, and he's got, you know, seventy people spending. You have you, <laughs> you and your spouse, or maybe you, your spouse, and your kid. You know, that's that. I mean, so. Beware keeping up with the gyms.
0: I think that's definitely takeaway number one from this piece. Takeaway number two from the first piece about Tom Petty. Before you go do the estate plan the cheap way, I think remember specific language matters when it comes to making sure that your estate is uh, taken care of in the right way. You ever think about running uh, 3,100 miles around a New York City block,
3: OG? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> I know you dream about that all the time. Like I dreamt about running around a block once.
0: <laughs> this, this film is called 3,100 Run and Become, and we're about to talk to Sanjay Rawal about it. Sanjay spent over a decade working in the nonprofit and government sectors while running a small agricultural genetics company, With his father, after working with Abby Disney and Jeannie Redeker as a consultant to their hit documentary, Pray the Devil Back to Hell, he was bit by the film bug. His first short, Ocean Monk, took the Best Short Doc Prize at the 2010 St. Louis Film Festival. His second film, Challenging Impossibility, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and played in 75 more, winning a number of awards. Uh, Food Chains is his first feature. This movie, 3100, Run and Become, has so much to do with financial planning. I'm sure, OG, you and I will have something to say about it afterwards, but for now, let's talk to director Sanjay Rawal. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend Sanjay Rawal. How are you, man? Joe, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me down here. How long have you been a runner?
4: I started running competitively when I was 15 years old. And I, I ran track in high school and a little bit in college. And, uh, you know, it was all about winning in those days. And now I've found different reasons to run.
0: That's what I was going to say. It's really transformed for you. When did you make the transition from running to win to running really as a part of your life?
4: To be honest, it was only during the process of making the movie 3100 Run and Become. I'd always known that there was a deeper purpose in running, and not just a psychological purpose, but a spiritual purpose. And I hadn't really found words or seen that put into action until I started spending time with runners from the Southwest, particularly the Navajo Nation.
0: So you you were first introduced to these. How were you introduced to the Navajo runners? You know, interestingly enough, I, I was a student
4: of an Indian spiritual teacher, Sri Chinmoy and went down a rabbit hole on Native American running and was pointed to a group called Wings of America based in Santa Fe. As it happened, Wings of America was, was co-founded by a fellow student of Sri Chinmoy, and I didn't even know that. So I kind of bounced all around the United States only to find the, the closest possible connection.
0: Have you always been a documentarian?
4: You know, I used to work in human rights, and then I worked in finance for a little bit. And you know after a while you know having spent a lot of times a lot of time overseas uh, i collected stories and i realized that some of the stories that i've been told were things that possibly could inspire people
0: part of the reason i wanted to talk to you because ostensibly this is a financial show <laughs> is is because of the fact that a lot of the people in this film they're not chasing money as you know Sanjeev they're chasing something else There's this spiritualness, this fulfillment that they're chasing. What is it, do you think, that they're really chasing if it's not about money? So as you know, the film is based on the world's
4: longest running race, which is 3,100 miles. Uh, It's it's held on a half-mile block sidewalk loop in New York City, and competitors are required to do about 60 miles a day, 59 miles a day at least, to finish within the 52-day window. There's no glamour. There's no trophy. You get a cake at the end and a pat on the back. And it's a great question. Why do people do this? The film explores the elemental spiritual side of nature um, and human nature. People do that race because it unlocks something that's very, very difficult for people to unlock in day-to-day life. It puts them in touch with a part of themselves where, if you can imagine what, what an incredible state it would be in to be happy and joyful and blissful when you're pounding out 60 miles a day, I mean, it seems unfathomable, but that's the reason why people do that race. And I wanted to find that place within myself and learn how to get there through these runners.
0: So this is as much a spiritual journey for you as it was about making a movie.
4: But, you know, to be honest, my last movie was uh, a a film on farm workers called Food Chains that I did with Eva Longoria. And I spent two years... Basically filming in uh, tiny American farmworker towns, just gorging myself on the best Mexican food
0: possible. And I needed something (laughs) to like get back in shape, to be honest. (laughs) So how did you first hear about the 3100?
4: I moved to New York uh, after graduating Cal in 1997, and I just ended up in a neighborhood that uh, placed me about a mile away from the course of the 3100 mile race. And the summer I moved to New York City was the summer that that race started, and it it scared the living daylights out of me. I was a track runner, not even a marathoner. I, I didn't know how and why anybody would do that. And I'd made some friends who ran that race, and I saw them coming back every year or every other year. And at least as far as I knew, they were normal people. They were nice people. They weren't like freaks of nature or just like Navy SEAL types. And I realized they weren't doing it for any other reason than it was making them better people. And that blew my mind because I I never ran to become a better person.
0: Where are the roots of the race from? Because this race, my understanding is this race has very, very deep, deep roots.
4: You know, in the late 1800s, there was this phenomenon called pedestrianism where people would pay uh, or would bet on people walking around a quarter mile loop in Madison Square Garden and to see who could run or walk the most miles in a week, in six days, actually. And the founder of the New York City Marathon, Fred LeBeau, and the Indian spiritual teacher who lived in New York, Sri Chinmoy, in 1986 decided together to kind of relaunch a six-day race. Um, Marathoning was counterculture in the 70s. Ultra-distance multi-day races became counterculture in the 80s. And both Sri Chinmoy and Fred soon saw that runners wanted more than just 6 days so they pushed to 10 days and to 1000 miles to 1300 miles in 1996 there was a 2700 mile race and in 1997 Streichen my pushed it to 3100 miles which is the official officially the longest certified uh, race in the world
0: Is that why it's 3100 miles is just to be the longest race You know he kept having to come up with
4: arbitrary numbers after the 6 day it just jumped to 10 and then he, he made a 1,300-mile race because he came to the U.S. from India first on April 13th. And then he decided to, to push it to 2,700 because he was born on August 27th. And then when people wanted more, you know he was born in 1931, so <laughs> it was pushed to 3,100. Thankfully, there's no other higher numbers kind of in his own life, so it stopped at that.
0: You start the film uh, following this runner from Finland who's a phenomenal runner. Uh, how do you pronounce his name, Sanjay? S es- and all? That's perfect. All right. And how did you first get introduced to him? So he was
4: one of the people that I saw coming back to the race summer after summer after summer. And, and when, when we filmed the movie in 2016, he had already done the 3,100 mile race third. 13
0: times. That's crazy.
4: There's another woman named Superba Beckard, American woman from Washington, D.C., who had done it 13 times. But, but get this. Ashby Hanal ran the six-day race in New York, the 10-day race, a 1,000-mile race, a 1,300-mile race, and the 3,100-mile race. He has logged more than 53,000 racing miles on the streets and parks of New York City. That's about Ray, that's like racing a marathon a weekend for thirty nine years or that's like like doing a hundred miles a week for ten straight years and these are all racing miles so he's at once he's a paperboy he's a he's a he's a postman in Finland which is how he he logs you know eight to ten hours of fast walking a day five days a week but he's just this phenomenal freak of nature
0: he he certainly is he seems like a very laid-back person but the film starts with you filming him talking to a mentor of his or a coach and he's 45 years old and he's about to run this again for i guess then the 14th time and and he's saying he doesn't want to run anymore that he's (laughs) that he actually wants to stop running but it seems like sanjay there's this piece of him that can't stop. I got the feeling during the film that this guy will never stop running. You know, he's coming back this summer,
4: 2019, to do the race for the 15th time. And that's the crux of the movie, right? As, as, you, as you as you, know, from having kindly watched it, you know, there's a part of him that wants to win, but there's a part of him no- that knows that there's something much deeper in the race. And his reason for running cannot be to win. It has to be to, to challenge himself, to learn about himself. And think about, you know, what a Petri dish it is to spend 18 hours a day doing one activity, whether it's painting or reading or writing or running. You know, you're forced to overcome a lot of your own conceptions about yourself. You're forced to really accept who you are for all your good qualities And bad qualities. And at the end of the day, he knows that the 3100 mile race is kind of like an accelerant for him in terms of his own goals to become a happier, more joyful, more satisfied person. And he can get that kind of catalyzing experience through the 3100 mile race. And that's why he keeps coming back.
0: Yeah, I want to get back to that in just a second because there's another person who you follow later on who brings me to a couple philosophical questions. But before we do that, I want to play just a small clip from the from the film. The uh, the film by the way, again, the name is 3100 Run and Become and this is the race director talking to the entrance. I believe uh maybe what is it essentially the day before the race happens is it the Exactly. Okay.
1: We welcome everyone to the 20th annual Free Chin Moy Self-Transcendence 3100-mile race. <laughs> what really makes this race special is its spiritual focus. The 3100-mile race really is the embodiment of self-transcendence. But this is the only race that I, I'd say that can guarantee to the runners that No matter when you cross the finish line or how many miles you do, you will be changed, and you will be changed for the better. Okay, I I have to say one more thing. Sri Chinmoy gave me the permission that if I decide to pull you out of the race, you are out of the race for whatever reason. If there's something going on, you have a problem, and I say you're out of the race, you are out of the race, and it's not questioned. Okay, is that clear to everyone? That's very important. Okay? Thank you very much. And
0: there is some serious risk here. I mean, these people don't come out Sanjay and, and just begin running 3,100 miles with no preparation. There's some very serious preparation. They do.
4: They have to deal on that course, not only with the pounding, but they are, they have to ingest 10 to 12,000 calories a day. So like all of your like inner organ systems have to be functioning. There's a lot of inflammation. There's a lot of, a lot of toxins created from that type of exercise You have to be able to process it. And it's in the summer in New York City. So it gets hot. Like the hottest days are going to be between 100 and 104 degrees with the heat index.
0: Aspirinol keeps a, a journal as he runs. I mean, he really takes the meditative part of this very seriously.
4: You know, we were able to get glimpses into his experience through the fact that he was recording some of his daily thoughts. And we did the same with one of our other characters, an Austrian woman named Shamita Achenbach-Konig, who's a phenomenal distance runner and a professional cellist in Vienna. And after a 20-year hiatus from ultra-distance running, you know, came and, and qualified for the 3100 and ran it in the summer of 2016, or I should say attempted it in the 20, summer of 2016.
0: I actually want to go to a clip of her next. I'm glad you transitioned to her because this is where I think we get incredibly philosophical. Uh, This is a clip from her daughter talking to her in Austria in the weeks before the race.
1: So are you excited about the race upcoming? Mm, Of course. I mean, it's a long, long preparation, like... In January, I decided to do this, and you grow into this project. It's in the beginning, it's like overwhelming, like mm-hmm. for, for many, many parts in you, for your mind and for your emotions and everything. And then you start training, and then you come a little bit into it. When you were saying that so many people ask you if you're going to run the race, and you were actually thinking maybe, maybe, I was dead against it because I almost lost you 20 years ago. When you did a 100-kilometer race mm-hmm. in Vienna and when you almost died. hmm Now. Um, I mean, when this is something literally. that always accompanies you, but I'm not afraid of it because um, I'm not afraid of it. Of course, yeah, when we die, we die. But we also have to live when we live.
0: <laughs> what do you think is bringing her back to the race?
4: Shamita is so tough. The reason why I loved her as a character is, you know, it, it, we all have this kind of like, this concept of of like the male mountain climber ascending the Himalayas and, you know, perhaps with a, a weeping wife and a weeping child at home, you know, maybe this would be the last time they ever see each other and, and the man is off to conquer the mountain. Shamita has that same type of personality where she has a goal and like the mountain is calling her and the Hence the 3,100 mile race and that achievement is calling her. And she knows that, like everyone in the race, she's got a weakness. It just happens that her weakness is the heat. She almost died in a race in, I think, I believe 1996, 1997 because of overheating. At the same time, she feels like she can overcome that with enough discipline, enough preparation. And despite the fact that, you know, this could be an ultimately deadly endeavor, she does it. Um, we, we, we tend to, to think of men as heroes when they do that. And here, you know, maybe somebody thinks that she's abandoning her family, but she's very much, you know, an alpha female and feels that, you know, her daughter and her husband will be better people if she sticks to her own intentions and, and aspirations.
0: You know, showing her as a musician was important to me because if you read the philosophy flow, I have, yeah, I have actually. And it seems like there's this practice for people that don't know about flow and it's a, it's a phenomenal book. And I'm not going to get his name, Mikhail, uh, big name, (laughs) Uh, but I will link to it in the show notes because I think it's important. You know, he studies musicians and looks at the, the fact that they will practice hours and hours and hours and hours. And yet, you know, people don't appreciate the symphony. They don't appreciate musicians in the symphony. And yet they will practice and practice and practice. And it doesn't seem to me, Sanjay, to be a stretch that she's a musician really looking at flow. And then this 3,100 mile race, which really it seems like for a lot of the participants is getting back into this philosophical state of flow, this perfect, perfect being.
4: That's absolutely true. I think one, one of the difficulties that, that she actually had in the race was that she was so mentally disciplined and she could almost project her success. And in many races that she had run in many aspects of her life, she could enter that flow But there wasn't an antagonist as powerful in those experiences as the weather. And in fact, in the summer of 2016, the the first three weeks of the race were uncharacteristically cold, and it was great for the runners. But then when it got hot, it got really, really, really hot. And she and a lot of the other runners were forced to alter their game plan. It's as if the flow state took an absolutely unexpected 90-degree turn. And you, you saw your goal ahead of you within reach. I mean, it's like a mountain climber. You see the goal ahead of you. You see the summit 100 feet away. But to get there, you might have to backtrack hundreds of yards um, back and forth to get to that summit. And so the heat was that unexpected right turn. And her fate in the movie depended on how well she was able to follow and chase that flow. And people will have to see the movie to find out, you know, how well she did.
0: Well, and there's one other thing we won't tell people about, which is how it finishes. But, but did you expect it to go like that? You know, as, as you know, the race came
4: down effectively to the wire. Yeah. Uh, where there was really like, not literally a photo finish, but in terms of percentages, there were just a few miles separating number one and number two, and they both gave it their all in the 24 hours before that finish line. It's as if you were running from San Francisco to New York and you saw the winner crossing the bridge into Manhattan and you could see him and you chased him all the way across the US. It was that close. And you know, both of the runners in those positions were really going beyond their own personal capacities. And at the end, they had to be happy with the results. You know, They had to be happy with the fact that they blew past their own limitations. They literally transcended. And so in that experience, what does it mean to be first and second?
0: It's so phenomenal and it's funny if you've reached this part of of the interview and in fact I'm out of time but if you've reached this part of the interview and you're wondering what does that have to do with money this is so much to do with goal setting and what's life all about and why are we accumulating money anyway there's so much in here that is so much to do with the stuff we talk about every day i just thought it was it was it was phenomenal I would encourage people to go to the website 3100film. It's the number 3100film.com. I want to ask you something about the website, by the way. Right on the front, you have a pledge that people can take for runners. And I was wondering why. Was it just for people to get their own little experience themselves, their own little taste of what these people are going through?
4: So we, we have two levels, which are completely different from one another. It's like, you know, run 3100 seconds a day for a certain number of days or try to log 3100 miles in a year, 3,100 miles in a year is effectively, you know, more or less 55 miles, 60 miles a week for for the 52 weeks in, in a year. And it just tells you how long of a distance that is.
0: Yeah, both of those are not easy for the average person who doesn't run a lot.
4: No, and, and it, it shows you that like most of us are lucky to run 3,100 miles across two, three, four or five years uh, unless you're a committed, ultra committed, ultra runner like like your wife is. Um, it's the, it's the distance between San Francisco and New York on roads or London and Damascus in Europe. It's a long ways. And these people pounded out in less than two months.
0: That's so, so amazing. Uh, where can we watch the film if we want to invite friends over and have a viewing party?
4: Oh, I mean, that'd be awesome. The film's available on iTunes, on Amazon and Google play in the U S and Canada, and actually a number of countries as well.
0: That's awesome. And you know what? We'll link to all those sources on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Sanjay, thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes. I really appreciate it.
4: Oh, I'm so excited. And one of these days, if people don't know already what a closet ultra runner you are, um, <laughs> that, they, they should. You should do a whole episode with your wife and all of your own like running exploits.
0: As I've told you previously, if I run 26.3 miles, something went seriously
2: wrong. <laughs> Touche. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're going to pay tribute to our namesake, the original stacker, Benjamin Franklin. Today is the very day that Mr. Franklin, as we call him here in the basement, have some respect, people. Well, he flew his kite in a lightning storm back in 1752. Old Ben is known for plenty of things, such as being a founding father of this country... (laughs) Yeah, no big deal. Accomplishing plenty of science experiments and, get this, creating a musical device known as a glass harmonica, which was played by the likes of Marie Antoinette, Mozart, and Beethoven. I haven't even mentioned his greatest accomplishment. He was also a French fashion icon, just like me. But all that aside, let's return to our roots with today's trivia question. Keeping Benjamin Franklin in mind... Who is the only other founding father featured on U.S. currency that was not El Presidente? I'll be back with your answer in just a moment.
0: Well, thanks to Clear for supporting Stacking Benjamins. If you've never heard of Clear, you are in luck because Clear uses your eyes and fingertips instead of traditional ID documents to get you through security faster at airports and stadiums. That'll help you reduce some stress because clear gets you through security with just the tap of your finger. You can get to your gate faster and settle down, not have all of that pre-flight stress. I I remember before I even had TSA pre-check a few flights thinking I'm not going to make it. Now what's bad is that even with pre-check just last week as that line continues to get longer. I look over that clear line and I'm like, oh, geez, completely got something here you are your ID clear replaces the need for physical ID cards using your eyes and fingertips to get you through security because you're the best ID out there provides access at airports and stadiums clear also helps you get through security faster and 40 plus airports and stadiums across the country more being added every day. There's family plans. If you're traveling with your family, you can add up to three adult family members at a discounted rate and kids under 18. Well, they go free. If you've listened to all to the show, you know how OG has used clear over and over and over and over. I'm getting clear myself here in the next couple of weeks because I'm tired of hearing OG talk about how quickly he gets through security and just eliminates that entire process. It's so easy. Right now, Stacky Benjamin's listeners get their first 2 months of clear for free. By heading to clearme.com forward slash SB2019 and using promo code SB2019. Once again, that's C-L-E-A-R-M-E dot com slash SB2019. Then put in promo code SB2019 for your free two months of Clear.
2: Welcome back to my trivia, Franklinistas. I'm sure that's what the French used to call their beloved American friend. And that they're not talking about me, they're talking about you know Ben Franklin. Anyway, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and before the break, we were talking all about Franklin's different accomplishments. And while I'm totally stoked that we can talk about the original stacker today, our trivia is about a different founding father. Before the break, I asked you this question. Who is the only other founding father featured on U.S. currency that was not a U.S. president? The answer? Someone call up Lin-Manuel and tell him we're not throwing away our shop because featured on the $10 bill is none other than Washington's right-hand dude, Alexander Hamilton. But we won't be the ones telling that story. That's for Broadway and you know now theaters across the country. Anyway, See you!
0: Big thanks to Sanjay for hanging out. You know, gee, I like this analogy of the ultra marathon because
3: I don't like the analogy <laughs> of ultra marathons.
0: I think we all want our credit card debt paid off today. We're excited about our goals today. We want it now. The fact that this is an ultra marathon and that maybe having systems and Monitoring, Like is they're monitoring their food intake over time, they're monitoring their, their rest levels over time. I mean, all of this, all this stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, it's really important to recognize that you just can't go from zero to 60. On an earlier episode, I talked about everybody wants to do steps nine, 10, 11, 12 of the pyramid because those are the really fun ones. And still to this day, people will say, hey, I know I don't have a cash reserve built, but I really want to buy investment property in real estate. (laughs) You know, I haven't paid off all my credit card debt, but I feel I'm missing out by not putting money in my Roth. Should I max that out instead of paying off my credit card debt? You have to do things in a very specific order to build the foundation that allows you the freedom to do those other next level things. And the snowball that comes from that, the, the rate of change that happens when you build it the right way, is so much better than having something go wrong and now you take three steps backward again and start the plan all over again, start the path all over again because, yeah, you managed to accumulate 15 grand in your brokerage account, great job, but now you're laid off because you don't have a cash reserve. Now your brokerage account goes to zero and you're starting over again. So when it comes to personal financial planning, I guess I can sign off on the ultra marathon analogy. Maybe.
0: Yeah, it's, I can't imagine anybody doing this though. I
3: just, I don't know what it's like. I don't, our, think, I don't think I could run 3,100 miles in a lifetime.
0: I just don't get what makes those people tick. I mean, it's like you and I have a, uh, have a friend who's climbed Mount Everest twice. And I, I, I just have no desire. I don't understand what the attraction is.
3: Well, seeing the curvature of the earth would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. But you know what? I got to see it through his video of it. Which was awesome. <laughs> which,
3: is just, which is second good. It is way second better
0: best. having a friend do the work and you look at the pictures. That's
3: right. Yeah. Could you get that in HD? Could you <laughs> superimpose? Well, I guess you're so covered up, no one would know it's not me. Yeah. So let's I'll just, just pretend. I did it. It's sure. really cold. Hey, le- is it climbing Everest cold.
0: <laughs> hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency... They put what you value first, and we went to some of our friends and asked them what they value first. And Aaron, in our Facebook group, said uh, California weather and palm trees.
3: Pretty good combo.
0: Yeah. And in fairness, it was still winter when these were written. But, um, heck, I'll take uh, palm trees any day. It's actually your loved ones and your time, but having loved ones' time and Palm trees, all good. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash haven life now for a free quote. Their application's simple and online, you get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. Policies are issued by parent company Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer. Today, we're saying hi to our friend Jason, throwing out the lifeline to him. Hey, Jason.
3: Hey, guys, I appreciate the show. I'm one of those uh, fiery millennials, and I've been contributing to the Roth 401k and hope to retire in my 40s. So, I'm wondering um, the contributions that I made to Roth 401k. If, if I roll that Roth 401k over to a Roth IRA or convert it to a Roth IRA, will I be able to take the contributions out tax and penalty free in my 40s, pre 59 and a half? Will there be uh, any, any problem doing that with the five year conversion rule? apply when rolling a Roth 401k to a Roth IRA? I know I probably won't be able to touch the earnings, but what about the contributions that I made while to the Roth 401k? All right. Appreciate all the help. Thanks.
0: There's a good question. When you take money out of a Roth IRA OG after five years, of course, the contributions can come out pre 59 and a half because you put them in. So what's the, uh, what's the ruling about money in a Roth 401k?
3: Hey Jason, thanks for taking the time to call in. So if you're contributing to a Roth 401k, and then you subsequently retire pre 59 and a half, and then you roll it into a Roth IRA, how do you get the money out if you want an early retirement? Well, the interesting thing is is that Roth 401ks have a different five year time horizon than uh, regular Roth IRAs. A Roth IRA doesn't matter how many Roth IRAs you have; it's the first one you open starts that five-year clock. And we count that five years for distributions of principal tax-free. A Roth 401k, however, starts a five-year clock every job you have. So if you move from job to job and you transfer that 401k money into the new 401k, you've started that five-year clock over again with those dollars. So as long as you move it from a 401k to an IRA, then the 401k dollars will take the the same time horizon, so to speak, of the other dollars in the IRA. So let's say, for example, that you retire in 2020, you've been contributing to a Roth 401k for 10 years, and you do not have a Roth IRA open. And now you are retiring and you're moving your money into a Roth IRA. Now you will have a five-year waiting period in order to withdraw the principal uh, without penalty. If you already have an existing Roth IRA, let's say that this year you started a Roth in 2019, you have four years to go, and if you are, have already had a Roth and you've started a Roth way back in two thousand six, you've already met the five year period, obviously, because it's been you know fifteen years. Then uh, when you put that money from the four hundred one k into the IRA, those dollars are of, are assumed to have also met the five year period. So the critical thing is, no matter how old you are right now, no matter how much money you have, get some money into a Roth because it starts that five year time horizon, that five year clock. Even if it's a hundred bucks and you buy, you know, one share of Apple stock in it and that's all you got right now. You're starting that five year time horizon that could be useful five, six, seven, eight years down the line when you do have money and you're able to save or you are choosing an early retirement and that sort of thing. Thanks
0: for the question, Jason. We also are finishing up with the mailbag. David sent us this note a while ago now. Hey, guys, I'm a 41-year-old who just started to pay more attention to my financial situation and credit your show for this. That's cool. Thanks, David. I recently started listening to podcasts, came randomly across your show. Anyway, my question is this. What's the advantage of using a financial advisor and buying mutual funds or any recommended funds that usually have expense ratios in the 1% to 2% range? I get they can diversify and manage acute issues with certain economic trends, but why can't I just diversify? By buying SPY, QQQ, uh, which, by the way, is known as the spider that's SPY, that is the S&P 500. Generally, there's a cheaper way to buy that than SPY. QQQ is if if you buy the NASDAQ. DIA is called a diamond. Uh, That's if you buy the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And then he says, and then throw in a Vanguard, International ETF, REITs, U.S. savings bonds, etc., thus paying much less in expense ratios. I feel like I can't get a straight answer on this. I realize you may not want to answer this question based on advertisers and people you work with. Oh, no, we'll answer it, dude. But if you could just write me back. (laughs) No, David, we're going to answer this because we've got a lot to say on this issue. This is, by the way, my favorite misconception. And whenever I see people making this misconception, I'm happy to add in my uh, two cents. So, G, what do you think?
3: Well, a couple of things. First of all, he's right. You don't need to pay anybody anything to go out and pick, pick, you know, 2% active mutual funds. Maybe you should pay somebody to not pick 2% active mutual funds. But if that's the comparison basis of, you know, what advisors do, which is advisors go out and find the most expensive thing and jam it down your throat, then obviously you have a bias toward not doing that. And I would too. It doesn't sound like a very good way to, uh, to manage one's financial life. I'll take a little exception to your uh, diversification plan, which uh, largely excludes smaller companies. And then I will also add to the fact that uh, nowhere in there did you mention the correct allocation of all those things. SPY, DIA, and QQQ are effectively buying one of everything in the U.S. That's all technology-driven for all intents and purposes. So maybe there's some value there. But really, I don't think that a financial planner's role or financial advisor's role is solely to go out and find mutual funds for you or ETFs or separately managed accounts or hedge funds or private placements or any of those things. It's to partner with you to take the work that you're already doing to a different level. You know, we call this one-on-one stuff versus three oh one stuff. You probably have all the one-on-one stuff done and that is more than satisfactory. You know, you can Retire very comfortably by maxing out your 401k and put money in a Roth and send some money to a 529 so your kids can go to college, pay off your debt. Nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly fine approach. If you want to do things a little differently or if you want to kind of up the game a little bit, there is some professionals out there that can help make things a little bit more efficient, perhaps.
0: Well, and here's, here's the way I think that happens, OG, is an investment picker and a financial advisor are two totally different things. I would help people with their budget. I'd help them with their tax situation. We'd look at, we talked about Tom Petty and his estate. We'd make sure that we got that plan put together, oftentimes bringing in other professionals. But my job was to make sure that it was correct, done right, responsibly. We calculated what the insurance needs were. We took advantage of as many, programs and opportunities that that places like uh, the place that you worked offered, organizations you belong to, areas that they offered. We looked into strategies for education, not getting ripped off by car dealers. I mean, it was buying a house the right way, having have, how all these strategies dovetail on your behalf is what a good financial advisor does, which is why. I get frustrated when I see people say, well, my advisor got mediocre returns, so I fired them and I got a better... Good for you, man. That's not what I did. When I was a financial planner, it wasn't anywhere close to what I did. So the fact that you hired a financial advisor and used them to do the one little thing that you could
3: probably do yourself... Well, here's the ultimate question I think you have to ask yourself, and and really only the consumer can answer this. And the work that financial planners do is not very linear. You might say, well, this year we met six times and we did all this stuff. And next year we only talked once and really wouldn't do anything and that sort of thing. So it's not a linear, you know, time for time type of relationship. But this is kind of the question that I've always come back to year after year is assuming that it costs approximately 1% of the money that you have to work with a professional, which is kind of the going rate. Agree that that's a, too high, too low, whatever. But that's just kind of where it is nationally. If that's the case, do you think that that person could provide you an extra 1% of lifetime returns and or save you 1% of mistakes you might have made along the way? But the one And per- or, I got one more. All right. Don't cut me off. And or save you 1% of time, energy, and effort. And the weighting of all those three things will vary year to year in your own mind. And only you, the consumer, can weigh those three things and say, I'm getting value for the money that I'm paying.
0: Well, I think it's even more than that because that's only broke even,
3: right? I mean, sure. I mean, it's got
0: to be above break even to actually make sense. You know, food cost in a restaurant can only be 30%. So you, you have to see it as an even bigger win than that. It is frustrating to me, though, the amount of time I would meet people that were sabotaging themselves over and over and over on financial stuff that had nothing to do with picking QQQ. Yeah. So to finish that thought, you said we could write you and say, go for it. Go for it.
3: Yeah, I really do. I mean, there's a good spot in life and there's a good spot in your personal situation where hiring an outside professional for anything, not just money, makes sense. And if you've got the aptitude and you've got the time and energy to put into it, yeah, go for it on your own, man.
0: Thanks for that question. If you've got a question, you can call the Haven Lifeline. It's uh, stackofbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Just make sure that the computer you're using or your phone has a good microphone and you're good to go. And by the way, Jason's taking home a greatest money show on earth t-shirt as well for calling in. That's going to do it for today. Man, what a great show. So much fun. Love doing these. Even on a Monday, OG. Oh, well, actually, probably mostly because it's Monday because it makes my Monday way, way, way Just, brighter.
3: Despite the fact that it's Monday. <laughs> makes it so much brighter.
0: Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this here podcast. Here's one that mom has on her fridge today. This is from Chris. Chris says, I give it a five-ish, five stars. This is the only podcast. I wish there were daily episodes of. Imagine trying to put that together. O G, you and I have enough trouble doing three. Yeah, I began listening two months ago. It's completely changed my mindset of how an early investor like myself should be setting goals. While the Jim Cramers of the world boast about hot takes on how to gamble. Joe and the other guy give realistic and relatable advice on how to set myself up for success. No longer afraid to ask my advisor dumb questions, and I'm even getting great tips on how to thoughtfully bring up savings topics to my wife. The three other listeners of this show may joke about never learning anything, but my growing fat stacks prove otherwise. Thanks. Wow, Chris. See, we didn't even have to pay Chris. Oh, gee. No 10 bucks to that guy, and he still brought it. What's that all about?
3: Pretty nice.
0: Yeah, very nice. Thoughtful. mom's got it on the fridge so thanks a ton for that but at this point in the show let's turn it over maybe scarily to doug doug what should we have learned if we learned anything at all on today's episode
2: so what did we learn today first take some advice from sanjay rawal and think about what pushes you to do more Eh, maybe it's not running thirty-one hundred miles around a block in new york city but could be something push yourself but most importantly enjoy the ride Second, how about a lesson from Tom Petty's family? Get your estate plan in order and stat. But the big lesson don't show Joe's mom pictures of Ben Franklin. She keeps thinking Ben was somebody she went to high school with. What's that? No, mom, mom, I'm telling you, he's just a couple years older than you. Wow. Big thanks to Sanjay Rawal for joining us. Check out his film, 3100 Run and Become, at 3100film.com. That's 3100film.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Does anybody else spend hours wondering what Kenny Loggins is doing on any given Tuesday morning? Oh no, that's just me.
0: So I'm doing this. Uh, I'm doing this detox, and my energy level is all over the place. I'm on day two, day number one, uh, the day where your caffeine withdrawal makes you realize just how addicted you are.
3: Why? Why are you detoxing from caffeine? Uh, you not can't just detox from c- everything, Kev. Just to do like one thing, detoxing from a bunch of
0: stuff. It's it's a program through my gym, and it Who's is gym. It, I don't yeah, think he's qualified. <laughs> Jim might. Based on the way I feel right now, Jim might not be qualified. So I go through these highs and lows right now. I've got super duper highs. I'm like, hey, I feel great. And oh my goodness. Even last night, the first night, they said after four or five nights, you'll sleep phenomenally well because of all the toxins that have been flushed out of your system.
3: Well... Isn't that what your uh, liver and kidneys are supposed to do?
0: That that you're actually doing a cleansing of your liver and kidneys during this process. Mm.
3: Yes. So I've heard it's all mythical stuff. It really doesn't happen.
0: Well, apparently it I don't know. It seems to be working. Feeling good though? Because well, when I feel good, but halfway through this episode even I went, "Whoa, hey there." All of a sudden, a little bit more trouble concentrating.
3: Note to self: cancel Joe's wine subscription for his birthday. <laughs> I know. I know. Send him carrot sticks instead.
0: When you realize all this stuff,
3: not good. Detox to retox, baby. Got to
0: get ready to go. You know, it's funny. I had a friend in Texas who became a deacon of his church. And while he was a deacon, they, they discouraged drinking generally. But if you're a deacon in the church, they definitely say, yeah, you're not drinking any alcohol. And Ever? so uh, for the two years, that he was a deacon. But the bad news, I think he kind of missed the point because at the end of it, he, he
3: <laughs> binged for like six <laughs> he weeks straight, totally like a bender. He
0: he, Woo! he had the biggest party the day after, where he just got hammered on. You it was know, my
3: deacon retirement party.
0: Yeah, like three drinks. I'm like, I don't think this is this is the message. I don't think that this is the is,
3: benefit of detoxing. Is that you get the opportunity to be a cheap date for a while again?
0: Experience that. Yeah. I don't know. I I have to say I I uh I've heard that, that day four you feel great, but crossing that moat,
3: mm-hmm. oh
0: Lord, oh Lord.
3: You should have just a couple of chocolate chip cookies to like get the shakes out.
0: <laughs> That'd be great. Cheryl comes home
3: today. So hey, how did it go? Oh uh, I'm feeling great lots of energy. Everything's wonderful. She's like the, the box of Oreos that's like crushed up at the bottom of the trash. Like it, not even in the trash, but it's in the dumpster. Like the big trash thing out by the road. She's like, Joseph, I've got, did cookie. you have a whole thing of Oreos? You're like, no
2: cookie <laughs> crumbs, like crumbs all, all around my mouth.
3: <laughs> yep. All stuck in it's my like teeth. Like a tub of ice cream.
0: Yep. <laughs> I had to, I feel like that right now.
3: The devil made me do it.
0: There, there are some pretzels sitting over on that counter, and I mm-hmm. know they're there. And I flip and want one because I know they're there. I found out that I can, I can eat like almonds or olives, or yeah. uh, I got like a big tub of olives. I've been cranking on those. I got the olives with the garlic inside, so that nobody wants to be near me.
3: <laughs> well, you didn't even need that. Nobody wants to be near you anyway. So oh, it works what out. What
2: up, up?